Hey everyone, this is Giordano from The Juice Media. Welcome back to The Juice Media Podcast, a companion to the Honest Government ad series. This episode of the podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land and it is the companion to our latest Honest Government ad about net zero by 2050. Hello, I'm from the government with an update on how we're handling the climate crisis. We know you're all counting on us to solve this problem so humanity can keep enjoying its favorite pastime, continuing to live on this planet. But you see, we've realized that we are the problem. And so how should we put this? We're actually going to get us all killed. When I heard Greta Thunberg say that she wanted governments to be honest about the climate crisis, I had something of a mini epiphany. Hey, I make this series called Honest Government Ads. Maybe I can help Greta out here. So I wrote this Honest Government Ad and I think it might be the most important video we've made to date because it helps people understand the logic by which net zero by 2050, the solution world leaders have come up with for the climate crisis can actually act as a substitute for honesty thereby helping to justify catastrophic delays in taking serious climate action. I also asked Greta if she would make a cameo appearance in the video, to which she said yes. Authorized by the department for blah blah blah. And then it only seemed logical to ask if she would be my guest on the podcast, since she had inspired this Honest Government ad. She said yes to that too, and that is why my guest on the podcast today is Greta Thunberg. Greta needs no introduction, but for those who don't know, at the age of 15, she began striking from school to call for stronger climate action, which went on to inspire millions of young people worldwide to join her in what became the School Strike for Climate and Fridays for Future movement. She's kicked world leaders' asses from Davos to New York with her powerful straight-talking speeches and has become one of the most recognizable people on the planet. Her many awards, including Youngest Time Person of the Year, the Forbes list of the world's 100 most powerful women, and several nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize, all of which has not stopped her from being a beautifully down-to-earth human being who still strives for school with fellow students every Friday. Greta, who is now 18 and currently completing high school, joins us today from her home in Sweden. I hope you enjoy our chat and I'll catch you on the other side. Welcome to the Juice Media Podcast, Greta. It's an honor to have you here with us today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I, I'm really a big fan of the Juice Media, so it's, it's really exciting. <laughs> Look, you beat me to it. I just wanted to say the same thing. We're massive fans of yours, and I just wanted to get that out from right at the start so we can get on to the science. But uh, <laughs> thank you for everything that you're doing, seriously. Likewise. Um, look, I know you're very busy between kicking our world leaders' asses and doing all your schoolwork. So thanks for taking the time to be here. First of all, how are you? I, I'm good. I have a, a. It's Saturday now, so I'm. I'm not free, but at least there's no school, so I can try to catch up on other things right now. Um, and it's um, it's quite cold today, but it's nice. So I'm right. good. Uh, okay. Just apart from everything that's happening in the COP right now, they're just finishing up the drafts. So that's also very interesting to follow, to say the least. Yes, totally. Um, so very well, apart from our world leaders about to get us all killed, everything's great apart from that. <laughs> Um, let's talk about COP. You've just returned home from this climate summit, which is just wrapping up as we speak. I think it's the final day. Can you give us, uh, you know, what's your review of COP26? And by the way, just just a reminder that you're allowed to swear as much as you want. In fact, it's kind of encouraged on this podcast. Good. Um, well, I actually came home almost a week ago now. I just, I was only there the first week. Um, so I've been able to sort of... Um, compress everything so uh, and like calm down a bit uh, from all the chaos that is over there 
Um, I think it's, depending on who you ask how the cop was, you get very, very different responses. From some people who, who are afraid to not let people down, they say that cop is, we are making progress and we are winning slowly, but we must remember that when it comes to the climate crisis, winning slowly is the same thing as losing. We can't solve the climate crisis with progress. Um, when I talk to people who are there on the ground still, I get completely different responses that it's a complete disaster and that no one is willing to do anything. It's just behind the curtain. It's just it's just a battle uh, between them and trying to create new loopholes, blocking and global north countries still refusing to take even the, the minimum uh, climate action that would be required. Have you had a look at the draft text that's come out? Have you had a chance to get your eyes onto that? Is that... I've tried, I try, yeah, not the whole, but I read parts of it, but I will try to, to, to find it as soon as I can, like the whole. It's hard to talk about it exactly now because it's all still yeah. happening, but, yeah. but definitely. And it will we, probably change t- times again. Yeah. So. One of the um, positive things to come out of it, if, if we can look on the bright side, is this uh, agreement that countries have to come back yearly now and, and redefine their NDCs as opposed to every five years, which was what Paris um, determined is that is that something that you're happy to have seen? I mean, I'm of course it's better than nothing uh, that just that part. But when you look at the whole thing, if you compare to what would be necessary right now, it's it's still a complete failure. And um, we cannot believe that we can solve the climate crisis with small steps like that. Um, and promises that they will improve their ambitions won't lead to anything unless they actually do and unless they actually fulfill those ambitions and the commitments that they announce. That's yeah, that's such a greater thing. You're always like, yes, words, 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 but what about the actions? And you're so good at always uh, bringing it back to that. Let's talk about honesty. Um, when a journalist asked you um, in the lead up to, to COP what success would look like for you, you said, I paraphrase now, you said something like success for me would be uh, for world leaders to be honest about how they're failing to deal with the climate crisis. Yeah. There is still hope, you wrote in an article, but hope all starts with honesty. It's such a simple yet powerful message. Can you explain why you see honesty as being the first step step towards real climate action? Um, we always, it's like we always talk about solutions to the climate crisis, how we are going to solve it, what steps forward, but how can we even discuss a crisis that we ignore the majority of? As a case study, in Sweden, uh, a recent uh, a recent um, investigation showed that uh, less than a third of our total emissions is actually included in our climate targets. And how can we try to solve a crisis if we ignore two thirds of it? Um, it's like they they say, how, how are we going to solve this? And we say, how about counting all the numbers, being honest about what we actually are, because we won't be able to solve a crisis that we don't understand. And then when we say that, no one understands what we are saying. And then they say, yeah, but what exactly should we do? And we repeat, how about counting all the numbers and be clear where you actually are in order to understand where, which situation you are facing in order to actually combat it? And no one still understands what we are saying. And that's sort of the key. We know that the climate crisis will not be solved in these COPs. And if anything, this COP has proved that, that no matter how big of like 
how many activists are there and how big how much pressure activists outside puts on on world leaders they won't change uh, as long as they can they will continue this way trying to only create loopholes in the systems in the frameworks it's like right now their their main goal is not to solve the climate crisis and to really find ways forward their main goal is to still find excuses uh, not to take action your message about honesty is what inspired our honest government ad about net zero by 2050 to which this podcast acts as a companion because when i heard you say that you wanted governments to be honest about how they're failing to deal with the climate emergency it kind of suddenly dawned on me hey i write this series called honest government ads maybe mm-hmm. i can lend greta a hand here and help more people understand what she means um so you you were really the inspiration for this video and you shared the video and you encouraged people to watch it Do you, do you think it helps to explain the situation we're in and you can be honest i know you're a fan of honesty yeah it it really does um those kinds of things are are crucial in order to make us both understand the situation but also understand in order to put pressure on the people in power and that video was really one of the best things i've ever seen i even got like uh, classmates uh who never talk to me about these things say like oh i saw that video that was really great so it was it really cut through uh much of the noise that's awesome and and of course uh one of the reasons that it had um such cut through was you you made a cameo appearance in it uh which blew everyone away because you just popped out of every, uh, out of nowhere hey greta and you gave the um the authorized by message at the end so thank you for taking part in it Um I assume you'd already seen the videos unless you say yes to random cameo requests. When did you come yeah. across the Honest Government ads? Is it a recent thing or Yeah, I mean they're quite a big like um a big thing in the climate activism movement, I mean world. Um uh, we always watch those episodes when there's a new one and uh <laughs> we have like Telegram channels to people we know and we always share them there. So it's it's um it's a thing that we really enjoy watching because it's so honest and it's really hilarious. Awesome. Great. I'm going to put that on our on our on our bio on our on our website. Um okay, now let's talk about dishonesty. Um I want to ask you a question. Um you obviously spend a lot of time thinking about the climate crisis and how to define the problem that we're up against. And I wonder if over the years your views have changed. In 2019 when you spoke at the UN climate summit, you gave a historic speech if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act then you would be evil and that i refuse to believe fast forward 2 years you're in the streets of glasgow with thousands of people and you said to the crowd many are starting to ask themselves what will it take for the people in power to wake up but let's be clear they are already awake they know exactly what they are doing So have you changed your mind mind since you gave that speech in 2019 and if so what has caused you to do so? Uh kind of I guess but also the speech I made in 2019 was also supposed to I I thought I want to look naive now um for them to really reflect on what they what they what they are doing because I'm not saying that they are evil I'm saying that if you do these things that means you are evil so that makes it they themselves have to make that conclusion um of course i i had my suspicions already then that they knew what they were doing but after ha- having meeting with with people constantly for for several years um talking to people i sort of now i really know that they do know 
um, consequences of what they're doing. That's also because they have been spending that time talking to people, learning about what they are doing, the consequences of their actions. You know, so many times in, in interviews, I've watched a lot of your interviews and people often ask you what you think about this or that. And mm. um, as I as I am also, and you often reply by redirecting the focus away from yourself, um, reminding mm. everyone that we should be listening to what climate scientists are saying, listen to the science. And I just wonder when that happens, do you sometimes want to scream? Like, does it feel like the world has gone bananas mm. when journalists and celebrities are asking a teenager what she thinks about the existential emergency that threatens all life on the planet instead of climate scientists? I... I, I do think that it's it's very, very absurd that that question is being asked to to a teenager uh, and also many other teenagers are being asked the same question. Like we are we are doing this because we do not want we do not have all the answers apart from saying that we need to treat the crisis like a crisis and count all the numbers. I mean, we we give um, solutions to do. But we cannot expect uh, teenagers to to answer that. I mean, just the fact that that question is being asked to us is absurd, but not as absurd as the fact that that question is being asked to anyone at all. How should we solve this crisis? Um, if there was an answer to that question, we wouldn't be in this mess. Um, if we could just solve an existential emergency um, just like that, then we there, it wouldn't be a crisis. It would just be a problem. Um, so I think that's absurd on so many levels. Um, you know, helping to amplify the voices of climate scientists is a role that you've taken up and you play it really powerfully and effectively. And to do that, you have to, you have to also have your head across the science. Can you share with us some of the main sources for understanding the science on climate? Any recommendations for others who also want to understand more? Uh, well, it depends. It's really a rabbit hole because um, I wish it could be just one one source where you could read mm. everything, uh, but you have to kind of look look up the information yourself. I think we would really need some kind of um, site or book or film or source, whatever, where you could find the things you need in order to understand the full situation. Um, but I usually rely on like, the most solid scientific sources like IPCC, because even though it's it can be very moderate sometimes, it's still like the golden standard. Um, and I also talk to scientists. I follow lots of scientists on social media to see what they are saying, how they're commenting different phenomena and announcements and so on. Um, but it's, it's really all over there, which is both good because you get your sources from, from different, you get your information from different sources, but it also requires a bit of time to to locate those sources yeah. and and see if they are credible or not, and and so on. No, totally. So um, read widely. Um, you know, just on the on the point of climate scientists, I often wonder why at climate rallies we don't have a tradition of just always starting off with a climate scientist, or at least having a climate scientist there talking. Often, that's a voice that's absent, and I feel like. The work that you do and certainly what we try to do with the honest government ads is to improve people's climate literacy so that they understand what it means when you when they hear words like carbon capture and storage or net zero by 2050 so um in that sense you know we're we're doing similar work in that regard but um ultimately um always pointing back listen to the science now as you know we're based in australia 
And uh, our government here is one of the biggest pieces of shit in the world when it comes to expanding fossil fuels and emitting tons of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you follow what's happening climate-wise here in Australia? And if so, what do you have to say to Australians, especially young Australians, many of whom have been wildly inspired by you to take climate action? Uh, of course, I follow. I try to follow the situations in in uh, as many places as I can. And I also have uh, Australian friends who, in the climate movement, who, who tell me stories that I find hard to believe sometimes. We do it's, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really. If it wasn't so horrible, it would be hilarious. Mm. Um, but I think you also need to be able to to let yourself laugh at it yeah, as long as you're doing everything you can against it um, you you have to be able to kind of see the the humor in it no totally so and you said you have uh, friends here in australia are they um also young climate activists in in the climate yeah. movement that's yeah. that's awesome fantastic uh did you want to say hi to anyone <laughs> yeah um hi louis <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, okay, on to a slightly less hilarious um, uh, question. Many children now as young as nine, which is the age at which you yourself became aware of the climate crisis and it sent you into a deep depression. Many kids are experiencing anxiety now about the climate crisis. What, have you got anything, uh, if, if any of them happen to be listening or their parents, I mean, you know, have you anything to say to them or also to parents? How can parents respond to children who have this kind of response? Uh, I have experienced that um, too. So I kind of know how it is. Um, I think for me, what got me out of it was that people around me actually started to listen to what I had to say and to my concerns because it, for a long time it felt like everyone just just ignored it and and said don't don't worry people they will solve that um they're taking care of it uh, that just made me wor more worried because that meant they didn't understand that people were failing us that the people in power were failing us um and that people had such little little knowledge of the problems uh, that were, that we were facing um so I think if you're a parent, just listen to your child, take them, take your children seriously when they are talking about this, because this is not just some something that we make up, something that is made up, um, something that children exaggerate. And so we are, this is actually the scientific consensus that tells us that this is happening. And if you ignore the children, then you are you are one of the causes of of your child's worrying. Um, unfortunately um so that would be my advice and for if you're feeling like that what got me out of it was to both that people around me were, were listening to me but also i started to do things it it started very small like uh, turning off the lights when i wasn't in the room and uh, cutting down uh, meat consumption and so on and then it got more and more and then i became a climate activist um because always um, taking action is always the best medication against those kinds of things. Feeling just the feeling that you are doing something, that you are a part of something larger, um, and that what you are doing actually has an impact. That's um, that's really um, important words, and I have to say that's really why we do what we do as well. I mean, it's partly to help solve the problems, but it's 
almost as much just to keep ourselves sane, just to do something because not yeah. doing something can really um, be, as you said, it's the medicine. Um, on, on a similar topic, um, I wanted to ask you about there's this sort of, you know, different ways of dealing with climate crisis. Before you came along, uh, the accepted strategy for climate activism was to focus on hope and not to be too pessimistic. And people would say, don't be too negative because studies show that 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 kind of messaging can turn people away. I personally never really got it, even as a, as, as a teenager. To me, it seems so much more comforting to deal with the reality of what we're facing head on, because that means then surely we would do something about it. But then you came along and you shifted that mentality by showing how being real and honest about it doesn't turn people away. In fact, it brings millions to take to the streets and it's engaging and inspiring. Why do you feel this message of speaking honest, honesty and, and uh, about the reality of what we face has resonated so much with people around the world? Um, I don't, I don't know. I see, as you say, we, we need hope. And as everyone keeps saying, we need hope. Uh, we need hope in order to act. But I think that we need to redefine hope. Um, as you say, I don't, I don't find hope in people telling me that everything will be fine. We are on the right path. We're making progress when that in fact isn't true. Uh, I find hope is being honest. Hope is taking action and facing the reality as it is, even though it may be very uncomfortable and scary sometimes. Um, the only way forward to tackle the situation is if we understand it, if we are being honest about it, if we face it as it is um because only then we will be able to do something about it but, but, but totally and but the fact that it has resonated so strongly does yeah, it, does it tell know. you does it tell you that perhaps this is how a lot of people feel also it's just that it, yeah. it was waiting for a spark to kind of and then people are oh thank fuck now we can actually talk about it honestly you know yeah i i, I think i think so um i i hope so at least um It'll be for uh, for anthropologists to 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 decide one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think would if it's like if there's a child standing in the middle of a road and cars coming at that towards that child um, at full speed, then you don't look away because it's too uncomfortable. Um, then you you run out and rescue that child, um, and I think that's kind of the challenge that we are facing now. Of course, you just want to stand on the side and watch because that's more comfortable. But humans are, when there's an emergency, we can react um, with, with, we can have an emergency response. Just look at, for example, how we did with the corona pandemic. Mm. Um, we say that we, I mean, we, during the corona pandemic, we did, didn't just say, oh, no, it's too uncomfortable. Um, we actually went out and did something. The, fa the, the thing that made us act wasn't the fact that we inspired each other and said like, oh, it's so cozy to stay indoors and not meet people um, or hopeful stories about people who had coronavirus and then survived. But what got us to act was rather the fact that we had to act. It was some kind of fear what, what would happen if we didn't react because we would be hit then personally, whether it would be ourselves losing our jobs or someone we love to, to be sick or even die i mean those kinds of fear fears were, were very valid um and made us act um and i think that shows that it cannot only be inspirational talks that make us act during the climate crisis but we also need to react to realize what will happen if we don't do anything
Alongside honesty, one of the key messages that you've been um, talking about and focusing on is democracy. In a recent interview, you said democracy is the only solution to the climate crisis. Can you talk a bit about democracy and why you see it as being so intimately connected to real climate action? Yeah, I mean, we can see that what has gotten us to move, even if it's very, very far from being enough, we have still made some progress uh, compared to to a few years ago. And that has been because there have been big marches, pe people pushing um, in using their power as democratic citizens in order to push politicians forward. Um, and if we didn't have that, then I don't know where we would be right now. So that shows that that is the only way forward. We know that as long as people in power get away with not doing anything, they will continue to, to do whatever they're doing, expand fossil fuel infrastructure, con continue subsidizing fossil fuels, etc. But if we use our, our power that we have in democracies um, and really push for change, then that can change. Because in, in a democratic society, people are the ones who have the power. And that I find extremely hopeful. If we didn't have that, that possibility, that opportunity, I don't know what we would do. I don't know where we would be. Um, and we can also see that in countries where, the, where people don't have these rights, um, as for example, China, um, their activists are facing lots of difficulties and they, they don't have these big movements that can push in the right direction. Um, so that is really the only way forward. And it seems that some people um, use that against climate activists. They say that we don't want democracy, that we want some kind of eco-dictatorship, which is, um, it couldn't be more wrong, but that's because they don't have any more arguments um, so they just make up things about us, even though that's the exact opposite of what we are saying. <laughs> There's an incredible amount of things that have been made up about you. I don't even want to give them oxygen, so we won't go there, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's insane. Um, another thing that you've often spoken about is equity. Um, when, you, when you talk about the climate crisis, um, you mentioned the concept of equity. And I was wondering if you could explain for people listening, what do you mean by equity in the context of climate action? I mean, we must remember that the climate crisis is an accumulative crisis. The carbon that we emit in the atmosphere stays up there for a very, very long time. And so it, the climate crisis is not just about what we are emitting now or what we emit in the future. Uh, in order for us to have a 66% chance approximately of staying below 1.5 degrees, about almost 90% of that CO2 budget has already been used up. So that means that historic emissions make up about nine, almost 90% of, of, uh, of the climate crisis, that is nine-tenths. Um, and we can't just ignore that fact. We cannot ignore that the climate crisis was created. Um, it started when we started to exploit other people and steal other people's lands and resources. And the climate crisis doesn't just exist in a vacuum. So equity and climate justice needs to be at the heart of, of any solution. Because if we are to, to distribute the remaining CO2 budget, it needs to be in a way that countries who have emitted more um, will inevitably get a smaller slice 
of that remaining CO2 budget and countries who have emitted less. And also, um, uh, on another note, uh, are being hit hardest. Um, they will have to ne need a very bigger uh, portion of that CO2 budget, both in order for them to, to adapt to the climate crisis, but also especially to be able to raise living standards uh, by building some of the infrastructure that we in in the so-called global north already have built um, because we build that by to a large extent burning fossil fuels so that is already we have already taken account for that and for some countries they need to do that in the future and of course uh, we need to make sure that they can do it in the right way um, in a sustainable way but still it needs to be done um, they need to be able to raise their living standard because who who am I to tell people in in the most affected areas that they can't raise their living standards because um, they can't live like I do because uh, we have a climate crisis which my part of the world has created and that is affecting them. Um, so and of course the big question of climate finance, uh, loss and damage, uh, which that money it was promised that it would be a yearly. <clears throat> a payment of 100 billion um, dollars uh, to the most vulnerable countries and to those who have done the least, but that still have, hasn't been delivered. And that's a big issue, especially during this COP. It's really become a big discussion, which is good. It needs to, to get more focus. But that is some of the, I'm, I'm sure I forgot many, many aspects now, but climate equity is at the very heart of the Paris Agreement. And that is also a big reason to why the Paris Agreement is at risk right now, because if if countries like mine, like Sweden or yours, Australia, if we can't even do these things, we who have the, the biggest, the best opportunities to do that, the best possibilities to do that, if we can't even do that, how can we expect people and countries in the most affected areas to take us seriously and to fulfill their commitments to the Paris Agreement? So there's a really big gap here um, because, and it only shows that if we ignore the aspect of equity, people will get angry, um, especially those who are being affected already today. They will get angry and then everything is at risk. Not only for, of course, yeah, no, yeah, everything is at risk. So that just shows the importance of cooperation. Totally. I mean, it makes it also complicated, but at the same time, this is the just way to approach it. You mentioned colonialism. Uh, sorry, you, uh, Greta, you mentioned colonialism while you were talking about that. And uh, I've noticed that you've often helped to amplify the voices of indigenous people in your activism. Uh, when you were in the, in, um, in North America, you visited Standing Rock. Um, and um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, how, how did you learn about indigenous people's role, role in helping to deal with the climate crisis and how do you see it? I think that was something that I learned um, on the way because it's not being being talked about. It's not being uh, focused on in like um, mainstream media or people aren't really discussing that on on a general level. Uh, so it was after talking to many, many people and being a part of the climate movement, being in it, uh, that I realized the importance of indigenous peoples and indigenous knowledge. Uh, and that just shows how we have failed to communicate that 
to communicate both how how indigenous peoples are at the front line of the climate uh, emergency. They are the ones who are um, bearing the brunt of it already now, being hit hardest and first very often. Um, for example, pipelines are being built on indigenous land, um, uh, but also that they are leading the fight against the climate emergency. Uh, just as an example, um, the indigenous peoples in, in the Amazon who are defending the rainforests, uh, and but also in every part of the world, indigenous peoples are defending their land, um, not only for their sake, but but for everyone's sake, for the whole planet's sake. Um, and it, that's not being communicated that indigenous peoples are the ones who are actually leading the climate fight. But also when we adapt solutions to the climate crisis, if that doesn't include indigenous people, if that doesn't include indigenous knowledge, then it's not really a solution because um, indigenous peoples are preserving about 80% of the remaining healthy ecosystems no, 80% of the remaining biodiversity. Um, so that shows that indigenous knowledge is crucial to preserve the planet and to protect present and future living conditions. Greta, uh, you're by far one of the most famous climate leaders in, in, in the world, but there are other young climate activists around the world in all continents are there some who you would like to mention in particular for the work that you're doing, some who inspire you particularly? Um, of course, uh, but I, I would like to mention every single one. Um, it feels like if I would mention some, then I, yes. I, I wouldn't be fair <laughs> no, to everyone. A, that's, yeah, that's an unfair <laughs> question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but but it's so, the the community that we have, it's so... It's so strong um, and there are so many people who needs to be acknowledged, so many people whose voices needs to be amplified, uh, so many people who, who, who need a much bigger platform because they have so much important things to say, especially people from the most affected areas, so-called MAPA, most affected people in areas, and indigenous peoples, as we talked about, because they are the ones who, who really need a microphone. And I think it's time for, for for activists in in the least affected areas to to pass over the mic and so-called LAPA, least affected people in areas, and MAPA, most affected people in areas. Do you all have like a signal chat group where you communicate together? Are you in touch and sort of have a, a community that you're part of? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have daily contact through lo lots of chats, um lots of like working group chats but also lots of spam chats where we write literal nonsense um which is important to 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 remain sane i guess yeah totally that's awesome um i i'm i'm gonna let you go because i know you've got uh things to do uh and um i just wanted to end off with um i just wanted to ask you about the the uh, the un uh, court case uh you and 13 other young people from around the world are filing a lawsuit to the un urging to declare a level three emergency level three is the highest level of emergency which is what the un declared for the COVID pandemic can you talk a little bit about that case and um and what it means for you um, first of all, it's it's uh, it's above all other people who have been pushing for this, and I'm just one of many people. But 
is sort of to bring the attention to the fact that this is this is actually an emergency and unless we treat it as an emergency we won't be able to to get anywhere so it's mainly to bring attention to that fact that and also the hypocrisy that we say it's an emergency but we are not acting like it um greta just out of curiosity is there a question that you wish you got asked in interviews but you never get asked uh, uh i don't know <laughs> okay uh, i i i'm sure there are many uh But is there something uh, that you go, why don't you ask me about this? And nobody ever does. No, uh, I I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there are many, but I can't come to think of anything now. Sure. You probably get asked everything. Um, Greta, <laughs> uh, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the Juice Media Podcast. I know you have a lot to do between kicking ass and all your schoolwork. Yeah. By the way, you're in the last year of school now. Uh, is that correct? No, I mean, the second year of high school, I have one more year after this okay gotcha and do you so still have some time to decide what i want to do after well, would... <laughs> have you thought about that or is that still no. something <laughs> well thought of it yes but i'm confused i'm lost i don't know which sounds completely normal i think we've all we've all yeah. been there so yeah yeah enjoy that enjoy that feeling uh once Thank again you. greta <laughs> Uh, thank you for all you're doing uh, on behalf of me and our team, Lucy, our actors, Zoe and Ellen, and our two little boys, Juno and Luca, for whom you're doing so much, and all of our patrons who support our work. Just wanted to say thank you. We love you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for keeping the bastards honest, and uh, we're with you all the way. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me as well. And I also want to send regards from and um, hello and thank you from everyone in the climate movement. Uh, especially the moose cult <laughs> ff of sweden <laughs> so <laughs> thank you very keep much thank you thank you greta you too well that brings us to the end of this episode of the juice media podcast i hope you enjoyed hearing greta speak it's strange but i'm sure some of you feel it too it's as if we've always known each other. Probably because she's been such a presence and inspiration in our lives for the past three years. Certainly for us here at The Juice Media, and I'm sure for many of you too, and definitely for your teenage kids. As I said at the start, I wrote this Honest Government ad to support Greta's call for governments to be honest about the climate crisis. But I also made it because I suspected world leaders weren't going to fulfill her request. And so on a personal level, I just wanted to do something to make her happy. And I know that's silly because it's just a fucking video. But also, I think there's a certain power in mimicking the world that we want to see. Because if we can help people imagine what honesty looks like, we can help them see the difference between that and the blah blah blah, as Greta calls it. Thanks to Ellen for helping me to edit the Juice Media podcast. And as always, thank you to our patrons who make the podcast and the Honest Government ads possible, especially our patron producers who support us via our highest tier of $100 a month. Thank you. If you value our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the juice media. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a nice rating on iTunes and recommend it to your friends, family and pets so that we can spread the word. You've been listening to the Juice Media podcast with me, Giordano. I'll catch you very soon for our next Honest Government ad. Until then, take care. Thanks so Thank much, you. Greta. Thank you for fighting for the world and for future generations. And I'm sorry that you I have can't. to. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it can be fun sometimes too.
Good to hear. <laughs>